my initial plan on this particular Monday on Locked On Bruins was to react to UCLA making the NCAA tournament, looking at who they're playing in March Madness and how the Bruins are going to beat that team. And on any other planet, in any other universe, in any other year, that would have been the basis of our discussion on this show on a Monday. But because of the circumstances in our world right now, we've got no NCAA tournament and no Selection Sunday yesterday. And I don't want to get into details about why we're not playing basketball because you come here to visit Locked on Bruins and check in and hang out with us as an escape, as a way to take your mind off the things that are taking place on our globe. But at the same time, I can't help but think about the pain that this current Bruin basketball roster has to feel. The what-if scenarios must be playing over and over again in their mind because not only did I believe, and they obviously thought, that they were going to make the NCAA tournament, but that they had a chance to make a significant run, a charge in the tournament, and get some wins together, string some of those victories together, and make a splash in the big dance. And now all we can do right now is let our imagination run wild and live in a fictitious world where that does happen. But what hurts is that none of that is reality. And we are left with an unfinished story. Mick Cronin orchestrating one of the most miraculous midseason turnarounds and not able to see it to its end. Not a happy ending and, and left us wanting more. Now, a lot of us might be having to work from home. Some of us might be out of a job right now. There's a whole lot of anxiety taking place around our society, given the events around our world. And what I want to make sure that you know here is that you are going to be entertained on Lockdown Bruins. And even though we don't have live basketball to talk about, what we're going to do on the show is we're going to get nostalgic. We're going to, every single day, we're going to have a different game where I'm going to storytell about. One trademark win for the Bruins. Look at one game, each of the episodes upcoming. And if you've got a game that you want me to talk about in all of its majesty, please, please email me, lockedonbruins at gmail.com, lockedonbruins at gmail.com, or I check my Twitter more, and you can follow me there, at Brian Fenley, Brian with a Y, F-E-N-L-E-Y. So the basis of this episode and future episodes, because we have a lull in the action when it comes to basketball and, quite frankly, any other sport UCLA-related, is that we are going to pick Bruin basketball games that defined this team and brought about its lore and basically get your taste buds revved up when it comes to all of the, the the wonderful historic wins for UCLA. And my first game that I'm going to bring to you today was one that took place in 2015 in the NCAA tournament. Oh, you Bruin fanatics know exactly what I'm talking about. It was the UCLA matchup against SMU in the Bruins opening round matchup against the Mustangs. It was a game that had a whole lot of controversy at the end, which made it a national conversation and story, despite it being early in March Madness during that particular year. But it also showcased the heroics of one Bryce Alford who made nine threes in the game. Coming up, how UCLA 
got the job done down the stretch, making up a late seven-point deficit. And we'll also look at the overall ramifications of that win. That is next here on Locked on Bruins. It was only five years ago, right around this time, the mayhem of March, when the Bruins were back in the NCAA tournament taking on SMU. And to give you a backdrop of this matchup, the Bruins were an 11th seed, and the Mustangs were a 6th seed. They were playing in Louisville. Steve Alford, at the time, was the head coach for UCLA. And if you were not on the Bruins or you were not a fan of the program, you were going into this matchup, scoring UCLA. How did they get into the big dance? You saw so many media pundits ridicule the Bruins in saying that they were unworthy, they were undeserving, given their body of work during the regular season to latch on to a spot in the tournament. And so whether it was, and those cynics had a pretty good point because the Bruins did struggle against highly ranked teams that season and UCLA's best non-conference win was against the University of San Diego. So that's not saying a whole lot. But then the naysayers took it a bit too far, and they were like, well, you know why they really got in? It's because they've got those four letters on their chest. It says UCLA, and for the selection committee, there's that automatic association with John Wooden, and that gave the Bruins the edge there because they were living in the past referring to the selection committee in picking the Bruins. So there was all of this garbage that was being thrown out there when the Bruins got that selection and they got in the big dance and they were adamant in proving all of this wrong that not only did they belong, but they were going to make some noise, right? They were not going to lose their first round game that they were going to win and keep things going and prove all of those people that they were fools and that they're just blowhards out there. And so this was an SMU team they were going against, making its first NCAA tournament appearance since 1993. So it had been a long time since the Mustangs had got in, and they did it with Larry Brown. And obviously, yes, Larry Brown led the Bruins when he was their coach in 1980 to the championship game where they lost to Louisville. So it's a coincidence, to say the least, that Brown is now the opposing coach in this game, playing in Louisville in this matchup with the Bruins. And the the game really rested in the last two minutes of this one because, for the most part, UCLA was dominating the tempo and had their way. They jumped out in front early in the second half the Mustangs went 1 of 12 from the field to begin the second half. The Bruins were up by double digits. And then you had Nick Moore, who engineered what ended up being a 19-0 run in a span of like six and a half minutes in the second half. Had a couple threes during that stretch. He finished with six made threes. Completely erasing a Bruin double-digit lead. And now the Mustangs are up by nine points. So a complete turn of events in the second half. And in fact, the Bruins were down by seven with under 90 seconds left. You probably at this point, if you're watching this game live, 
had a, a 98% chance we were losing this game. When you're down 59-52 to 52 with under 90 seconds left, it's not looking too good for UCLA. And what made you fear a loss even more is what got it to a seven-point deficit. It was Norman Powell dribbling the basketball off of his foot only for Ryan Manuel to scoop it up, go the distance, and jam it home. So it's sloppy basketball for the Bruins, and the Mustangs are up by seven with under 90 seconds to go. SMU looking like they are bloodthirsty, and it seemed, as I said, out of the realm of, of any possibility or, or reality, I should say, that the Bruins would dare come back. Oh, there's no way. There's no way. But Bryce Alford had other ideas, and he put on a clinic from three-point territory all game long, like he did all season long, and he did throughout his Bruin career. So it's a seven-point game. It's trimmed down to four. Alford makes the three. And then Norman Powell goes to the line, makes a couple free throws. Bruins get a stop. It's a two-point game now. So it's 59-57, under a minute to go. SMU with the basketball, they're inbounding, and the Bruins decide we are going to put a full-court press to try to create some chaos in the backcourt, and it works. Cannon Cunningham turns the ball over. He throws it right to Thomas Welsh right around the timeline. Bruins have possession down by two, under 30 seconds to go. SMU head coach Larry Brown said afterwards, I can't remember anything quite like that because we put Cannon in at the end. He's a reliable free throw shooter and a senior, and he turned it over, end quote. And that's one way to throw your player underneath the bus. But so the Bruins had possession, like I said. They call a timeout. So they're down by two. They call a timeout. And now you're thinking, well, who are they going to go to? Norman Powell had 19 points. He had a couple nasty dunks in this game. Had one where he cut back door and just flushed it hard with one hand. He was all over the place offensively. But it did not go to him. So this ball was going to Bryce Offer to try and win the game. Inbounds pass or inbounds play for UCLA. Alford cutting off a Thomas Welsh uh, down screen. So you've got Alford going to the baseline. Now he catches the ball along the baseline. He's got Nick Moore draped all over him. And there's no way that Alford's going to be able to get this shot off without some help. So Welsh comes down, screens Nick Moore, Alford's defender, giving Alford a little bit of separation and takes this ill-advised shot when he didn't have to. He did not have to take this shot. He heaves up this three with two guys smothering him. And it, it, there was no way the trajectory, the arc of this shot, it was not going in. But SMU made a boo-boo right around the rim. Yannick Morera decides to anticipate the shot and is called for the goaltend. The Bruins were down by two. This created so much controversy because a lot of people thought, how can you go with a goaltend on that call? There is no way. The ball did not look like it was in or was going in or was on the right flight path to go, for that to happen. Now, to be honest with you, here is what the rules state. According to the, the NCAA, if any part of the ball is above the rim... On its downward flight, 
It's called goaltending, provided that the ball has a possibility, the NCAA says, of entering the basket. Now, I'm going to be unbiased here. You watch that shot. That ball was not going in. But it was most likely going to hit the rim. So when you had Morera leaping up with that ball on a downward flight, intended to go to the rim, the ball was not going in the hoop. But it was destined to hit the rim. And by virtue of that, it is a goal 10. Now, you hate that the game ends that way. But that's how it went down. And the reaction from celebrities across the country when they watched the, the goaltend call, you had the likes of Kevin Durant weighing in. He said, yep, that was a goaltend. You had Joel Embiid say, March Madness, it was an air ball, though. You had guys on either side of the aisle, prominent names in sports, saying whether they were on the goaltending end or not. So this was really a national story at the time. And I, I do believe, from a non-biased perspective, that the right call was made. And, and Morera said that it's all my fault. As he said, he was goaltending. That was the call. And he said, quote, it was all my fault. So he accepted a level of apology, taking some personal responsibility here. And, and Coach Larry Brown, after the game, said, quote, I never saw a game end like that. You've got to give the Bruins credit, but we got to the free throw line late. We turned the ball over late. We had a goaltend late. Now, coming up on our next segment, just because of this goaltending, the Mustangs had a chance to, to win this game after that. And seemingly that that gets little talked about, but we'll get into that right after this. Even though Bryce Alford sank four threes in the last three minutes and 40 seconds of this game, what a lot of people fail to realize when they recount the way this game ended was that it was not a death sentence. That last three from Alford that was called good because of goaltending put him up to nine made threes in the game. The Mustangs still had a chance. It was not a death sentence getting that goaltending call against them. They still had a chance to win this game in the waning moments. And it was Nick Moore who had a three from the wing that would not go down, would have won it for the Mustangs. Then the Bruins get the rebound. They cough up the rebound, so the ball is up for grabs. Nick Moore chases it down, flings another mid-range jump shot. It grazes the iron, and that was it. So the Bruins ended the game on an 8-0 run, stunning this SMU team and Larry Brown. So when you think about this game, one of the biggest takeaways was the debate whether or not the goaltending should be something to be reviewed. Now, at the time, what you could review, according to the NCAA, were did a shot get off in time so you can look back and see, well, it was released before the horn, or you could say, let's go back and look at the replay to find out who hit the ball out of bounds. So as far as possession is concerned. But at the time, you could not, according to the rules, review a goaltending call. And there certainly was a, a, a movement to try and instill or implement the goaltending to the whole replay protocol. Now... That was shot down, and J.D. Collins of the NCAA 
in men's basketball officiating in, the, in that department told Sporting News the reason for this. He said, quote, let's say someone takes a shot, the ball's in the air, and the official says that's goaltending. Then they review, and it wasn't goaltending. Now it's a loose ball. Then we go to the possession arrow, and the wrong team might get the ball. And quote. So if you get a little bit more technical and you think about that it's not exactly that easy to determine if it's one person's ball or not. And then you complicate things even more. So the whole thought of reviewing the goaltending, that was shot down because of some of the arguments against it by J.D. Collins. The Bruins would end up losing to Gonzaga in the Sweet 16. And there would be more trouble on the way for SMU following this game because the NCAA did some digging into their program and banned them from postseason play in 2016. They got out to this rapid hot start that season, but they were not able to to make the postseason. That was Nick Moore's senior year. He said after the loss to the Bruins, he said when the reporters came over to his locker room, he said, I don't want to talk to you. I don't want anything to do with you. And certainly, Larry Brown had a lot of talking to do after, yes, the NCAA did some probing, and they found out that one of his players was being helped, and it was involving some academic misconduct when a staffer was helping finish up an online course for one of his players, and Keith Frazier, who was once a McDonald's All-American. So there was some misconduct there. The NCAA decided, you know what, we're going to ban this team from the 2016 postseason, which Larry Brown thought was too hefty of a punishment. He made that very clear in interviews quickly after that. And he was basically charged with lack of coach control, academic fraud for the program, unethical conduct. He was also banned for 30% of the team's games that following season. So the sanctions came down and a very serious two-year show cause was plopped on Brown, and he ended up parting ways with the program, basically resigning, but I think what I've read was that there was some disagreement between the sides, the athletic department and Brown, about how long he wanted a contract extension. I think the program was only okay with him for two or three more years on an extension. I think he wanted more And given the atmosphere of the program and the the trouble they were in with the NCAA, it did not serve the program's best interest to agree to, say, a five-year deal with Larry Brown after all of this stuff came down by the NCAA. And so that led Brown to say, you know what? That's it. You know, I'm out of here. And he got out of there right then and there. And it helped it eased the pain of getting rid of him because what he left behind a whole lot of trouble and a program that is trying to once again, act ethically and make up for his sins. So Larry Brown, and he did not last there very long coming up tomorrow on the podcast, another marquee classic game that I want to bring to your attention as we dive in and really do entice and fulfill our nostalgic taste buds here when it comes to Bruin basketball. There's a game that took place in 2006 in the Bay Area 
in the NCAA tournament, the Bruins going toe-to-toe with the Adam Morrison, who was within striking distance of winning the Player of the Year award. And it was a Sweet 16 matchup that went all the way down to the wire and was so entertaining and turned out to be a wonderful comeback for the Bruins down the stretch. We will talk about this game, elaborate it all in all of its marvelous ways tomorrow on the show. If you've got any games that you'd like me to review and talk about, would love to hear from you. My email is lockedonbruins at gmail.com or tweet me your favorite Bruin classic game over the years at Brian Fenley. Brian with a Y, F-E-N-L-E-Y. I am Brian and we will talk to you tomorrow.